Welcome to Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley, and this episode about gung-ho growers is the last one in our collection of episodes from the Harcourt Organic Farming Cooperative. I've been following the progress of gung-ho since they first started out at Harcourt. I'm personally friends with both of the founders, Mel and Sass, and over the years I've also been a customer. So back in Series 1 of Saltgrass, released in 2018, which is five years ago now, I did an episode with Mel and Sass, which captures the story of the beginning of Gung Ho. I really hope you can go back and listen to that episode on your podcast app, because this episode is all about the end of this incarnation of Gung Ho. It's been almost a decade of effort and love and garlic from Gung Ho, supplying our local community through the local farmer's market, selling to cafes and restaurants, and providing boxes full of veg to seasonal and annual subscribers, people like me. We would pay up front at the start of a season and then we had 12 weeks of boxes to collect from the farmer's market each week. Each time there was a surprise combination of leafy greens, beetroot, radishes, eggplants, chilies, tomatoes, potatoes, garlic and sometimes a little bunch of flowers or a little bunch of herbs and just, you know, so much more. And along with the box itself we got an email newsletter with photos and stories from the farm and information relevant to what was in the box that week so recipes or cooking and preparation suggestions for some of the stuff that was in the box and then also as a follower of gung-ho i really enjoyed a glorious stream of photos on social media of dirty hands cradling beautiful fresh food dogs sleeping amidst rows of beans the beautiful mountain lianganook in the background the weather, the workers, the highs and the lows, even a joyful series of photos called Field Couture, where the patched, stained and farm-filthy clothes of the gung-ho crew were celebrated. We who have been customers and followers and supporters of gung-ho have been let into the daily happenings on the farm and were gifted insight into the hearts and minds of these farmers. And I can't speak for others, but for me it's changed how I understand what food is what it means to intentionally grow good food and what it means to grow a community as well. And what really, like really fresh food is like to handle, cook and eat. It was a lesson in seasonal cooking as well because we saw in the boxes a reflection of abundance of different things week by week and I had to learn to embrace and celebrate that and learn how to work with what was in abundance and stretch my culinary creativity and my preserving skills and all of that good stuff. So I was just one amongst a great many who felt sadness when Mel announced the news that Gung Ho would not be renewing the lease out at Harcourt for another three years. So this episode is a big chat with Mel about how and why this has happened and how this reflects on our farming and food production systems. And then after this episode, there'll be a few bonus bits where I have talked to some of the restaurants and cafes that have been buying gung-ho food for the last little while. And you'll hear what it means for a restaurant to support a local grower and how that impacts their business, but why they also then choose to prioritise a local grower. And if any of you are curious to hear about SAS, who left Gung Ho a couple of years ago. I also have a little update from her too, where she reflects on what Gung Ho has meant for her over the years. So stay tuned for all of those. They'll be released in the next week or so. Of course, as ever, I want to acknowledge that Saltgrass and Gung Ho have both been produced on Jara country, the home of the Jar Jar Rung. 
They have been zero waste ecosystem guardians and custodians of this land for countless generations and continue to lead the way and generously share their wisdom on how to live here better. I give thanks to them and honour elders past and present. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Salt, salt, of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. So I first went and visited all of the farms out at Harcourt Farming Cooperative late last year, which is spring of 2022. I caught up with all of them, except for the native plants nursery. But, you know, you've heard in the last few episodes, Tess from Cellar Dairy and the Orchard Keepers and Katie Finlay, the landowner. And all of them reflected on how hard the last season has been with widespread flooding and sodden soils affecting each producer differently. At that point, all of them were doing it tough but sounding hopeful. And if I had released the interviews I'd recorded back then, early this year, so in, say, February, that's the story you would have heard. However, I didn't release those episodes for various reasons, and time and circumstances kept on moving on. And part of me honestly wishes I had released those episodes back when the stories were simpler. However, in talking to the Orchard Keepers and now Mel, after both of them have decided to not continue with the Harcourt Farming Cooperative. What we're hearing is more complex. It's a bit grittier and hopefully more revealing of just how hard it is to actually do this, farm on a small scale, feed your local communities, and to try and detach a little from the food systems that rely on monocultures, fossil fuels, machinery, pesticides, synthetic fertilisers, and the food industries that put food on trucks, trains, boats and planes and send it vast refrigerated distances and try and carve out some local seasonal soil and biodiversity friendly farms. And in spite of the difficulties of trying to farm in a different way to these massive corporate enterprises in our food systems and all of the complexities that come with working at a small scale with high intensity labour I hope what you'll also hear from Mel and from others who speak around this is that there's something really precious that they get out of it that's not to do with the dollars and it's a kind of riches that is not taxable. There's a really deep love of this work and to mechanise our farming systems really takes that away from people. Maybe so many more of us would love to be farmers and we just don't know it. So when I went to have this big chat with Mel, I was asking her about what led up to the really difficult decision not to renew the lease. And she went right back to the start to talk about how it was when she and Sass first started Gung Ho. We were so excited. We just wanted to grow. Being able to have land was amazing. Being able to go into this agreement with Katie and Hugh, which was new for all of us and a new thing, was courageous and beautiful and so exciting we put two hundred dollars each into the business that was our capital four hundred dollars isn't that amazing it's kind of crazy when i think about it now (laughs) but we saved for that two hundred dollars yeah uh yeah and then so that was the first year and then the second year 
we did a big crowdfunder and that was way more supported than we could ever have wildly thought or dreamed and that enabled us to buy some tools, some compost. So it's always been bootstrapping the whole way. So to get to a point where we could go, okay, we're going to have two employees, two interns, we're going to pay ourselves, we're going to pay them. It felt like a big step, but we were so ready, you yeah. know. It's a leap of faith, but also a leap of hope. Oh, emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and a leap of, hey, we've put a lot of groundwork to get here. Yeah, that's right. And that patch of land that we're currently mainly now on, Peaches and Cream, we knew that with the two of us and maybe one person half a day a week harvesting, we needed more labour in order to make that. And we could see that feels like it's possible kind of thing. And we just signed on two interns and they were both on Centrelink. So they could get a TAFE subsidy as well as getting a minimal wage from gung-ho each week so their pay was the TAFE subsidy Centrelink and what gung-ho could give they were getting 200 a week and I think we were getting 300 a week each so that was kind of the financial context and that was a pretty big step for us when you first started you guys barely had a wage at all from this place oh we didn't for years yeah yeah the most we've ever paid ourselves was $300 a week and that was at that point in time So that would have been six years. But we both worked off-farm jobs to buffer that. But it's always then this interesting thing of, well, we need to put time into the farm, but I need to put time into my off-farm job because that's what's giving me the money so then I could... So then you can can live. (laughs) (laughs) So we can, unfortunately, put petrol in the car and get here. (laughs) That kind of thing. and pay rent and buy food that you can't grow. Yeah, And all the stuff. Yeah, carrots, buy carrots and avocados. (laughs) 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 So that was winter three years ago. And then then the pandemic did hit. So Saskia noticed before the pandemic. She had just come to a point where she decided she didn't want to farm with gung-ho anymore and so we had started a process of what that would look like so that changed things a lot because we had set everything up in order to be four of us with a certain amount of outgoings let's say per week and we had our first 12 months of boxes sign up and go yeah we're in (laughs) so people this is the first time people are committed to a whole year's worth of 12 months rather than the seasonal ones correct which was super exciting so we actually had quite a lot of money in the bank because a lot of people paid up front for that the team went from four to two and still the amount of production required with half the amount of labor yeah and so then I had to employ people and I wanted to do it by the books which just means super tax you know all the things and you're paying the award rate which really is it's not like that's heaps it should it should be more people who've worked here have given so much that dollar amount per hour isn't their, their worth to you was seemed a lot more yes thank you and you know what they invested and committed and it's not just about money it's a whole investment so we're in summer now pandemic and I haven't really done this before, not really known how to bring people in. We're still going through the process of 
getting a bookkeeper, changing accounting software. All this sounds banal, but it's so time consuming. So, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that at all. And so I was still paying people cash at this point yeah. in summer. So Ruby, our old intern, came back. Yeah. She was working with us, and then a local friend, Cat was coming in but I could only offer a certain amount of hours at that point and we've still got a tractor debt and I'm still paying rent invest back in seeds seedlings infrastructure packaging fuel for tractors tools that break compost yeah so that was that was the situation so Ruby came back for a while but she then decided that she needed to go up to North Queensland and Kat needed more work so that was the first round Then we went through the full wave of, all right, everybody's got to go on the books. I'm on a different accounting software. I'm doing the invoices. I'm doing all that stuff. I I can see it now. I can see more what it looks like. And so then Claudio was still here, still amazing. And Will, who had been volunteering with us from the start of COVID. So that was that whole team (laughs) and time. And yeah, we all built peaches and cream. Yeah, that was that time. Yeah, it was really special. Yeah. Definitely a time. It was a really important thing to understand how there's chapters in everyone's lives and you can come together for a certain chapter and other people have different chapters in their lives that they go on to, even if you're still <laughs> in there. And then then everyone had winter holidays and we came back and we did a big reconfiguration of basically how many hours, how many people, what we wanted what our aim to produce was and brought on Quince who started doing seeds and so yeah we were a little team and we had beautiful team days of dreaming of what we all wanted to give to the season what we were hoping to get back from it how we wanted it to yeah visioning I guess. So what Mel's talking about is around about the time that I went to the farm last year and interviewed Mel and her team And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you so that you can get a sense of the people who were working with Mel back then. Historically, and still currently, farming often has a mobile seasonal workforce. People come for a season to pick the fruit or do the labour needed, and then they move on. They're not very invested in the farm as such, or the values and principles of the place. Not so for the team who work at Gung Ho. This is Will, and after him you're going to hear from Pip and Claudia. I came out here pretty much at the start of COVID. It was it was epic. I started as a volunteer coming out here. One day a week, there was probably like a crew of like 13 or 14 of us that came out, which provided us with this epic community in and amongst a time that felt pretty isolating and hardcore. And so, yeah, nearly three years now, which actually blows my mind. <laughs> It doesn't feel like that at all. And how did you transition from volunteer to employee? I guess this space was going through a bit of a transition. So in that transition, there was people that were moving out and not really anyone that was moving in. And so I started as an employee just coming into summer. And so there was a lot that needed doing without the same number of hands to do it. And so I just started working here kind of one to two days a week with Mel just is like a, we need hands, you've got two of them, and (laughs) please use them. Please please use them, yeah, totally. So it was probably like a good year and a half of just like coming out and volunteering and then that transition into employment, which is funny because it's weird going from a volunteer to an employee. I think I just became a bit more conscious to 
how I was spending time here or what the time here looked like. In the beginning when we were all volunteering, because there were so many of us, we were getting lots done, but there was also lots of time where we were just kind of sitting in context, much like we are now kind of grabbing things out of the ground but just getting to know each other and and kind of growing that sense of embodied community between us which i am so incredibly grateful for but i think then when i started to work here i was like oh okay cool i'm working we gotta there's a step it up there's a yeah there's a standard or an intention that that felt to shift a little bit i feel a really deep indebted relationship to this place and the people that are lucky enough to live and work upon it. Being fortunate enough to witness people doing this kind of farming that I find so incredibly inspiring but also I find it challenging when I feel like they're not fully supported by the structures around us to do it. And that is one thing that has made me feel less keen on wanting to do farming as a full-on thing. We don't necessarily support these spaces in terms of our expectation around food, prices of it and accessibility to it, and then kind of political structures and economic structures around it don't in any way, I think, support people adapting models that are good across the three, like levels for the farmer, for the land upon which they farm and for the community that surrounds them. Yeah, that's a great three. I like that three. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the soils. It's always quite beautiful when you pull up the tarp and see what <laughs> see what's <laughs> underneath. It's cool. Beautiful turkey worm. Yeah. I stopped pointing the microphone at you because I started <laughs> focusing on the weed more than I was focusing on the interview. <laughs> right, Ali. Oh, yeah, Ali. You can come back anytime. <laughs> My name is Claudia. I came on as an intern in September 2021 and that internship ran through till June and then I've started back in September as an employee. How was the internship? It was pretty incredible. It was a pretty crazy time because Mel and Sass parted ways during that time so the business looks very different now to what it did when I started but I learnt so much in that time like it was very hands-on kind of getting to see all different parts of the business. It was pretty life-changing really in terms of having that day-to-day experience of what farming's like just being really in that flow of yeah what happens every day on the farm. I think for me I've really fallen in love with this way of working with being attentive to plants and seeing life cycles and working with the elements like I really love that and I don't think I'd ever be able to not have that as part of my life but I think before starting the internship, I was like, yep, yeah, I definitely want to be like a farmer, start my own market garden. And it's been a huge eye-opener as to just how intense it is. Farmers work massive, like 60-hour weeks. And part of me is like, oh, farmers have an incredible work ethic yeah. and sacrifice so much to be able to produce food the way that we do. And I have big questions around how to make that work for me, really. Mm. I guess this is a particular model of how to farm. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. There are lots of other ways you could do it with big tractors and lots of pesticides. How do you feel about this method of farming? Yeah, it's very labour intensive as opposed to machine intensive. In many respects, I think it is, well, I don't want to say it's the way forward because I think there's many ways forward in terms of how we grow our food, but I do wholeheartedly believe in this method of 
having hands in the soil rather than machines and how gung-ho does things I think is so important for seed sovereignty and how we save seed and have seeds that are resilient to the climate and that we have ownership over not or not even ownership but you know it's not a big corporation that's owning the seeds we're growing everything else ourselves and saving seed and in that respect I think with a changing climate that is going to be so important to have seeds that are adapted to this area. Yeah. I'm Pip. I think I'll always be a farmer to some capacity. I think I'll always be growing food or working with animals. It's just a very important part of now who I am and just feels really important to me to be able to grow food and eat food that I grow and be connected to the land through growing and eating. It just feels like it needs to have more support behind it. This work feels very important for the land and for the people in the community and is crazy that Mal's having to work such long hours but there's not any government financial support or anything there in place to honour that importance of this work. Yeah, throughout this time of working on different market gardens and having my own little market garden at one point is just like this is hard work <laughs> but this is important work and how do you continue that I feel like I just have met a lot of market gardeners now who just get so burnt out and defeated yeah and that's not what we need <laughs> so how do we help people do this stuff and help them still stay well yeah in themselves? Yeah. yeah and have a life outside of farming nurture those other parts of their lives as well in the early days of the internship going this is crazy that a small handful of us are growing food for so many people and wouldn't it be amazing if there was more investment in people actually being involved in growing their food yeah and it's not like everyone can do that but yeah. certainly to have more involvement it's just that many hands make light work I think there's there's more to be explored in that of yeah. more community involvement I actually really love that idea because before I was chatting to Will as he was weeding and I couldn't help but like weed as I was mm. talking to him and the microphone kept on drifting because I was concentrating <laughs> on the weeds. <laughs> oh, it's the best way to hang out, like weeding and yeah. chatting. And I feel like I have the best chats here because yeah. when you're working and doing something at the same time, it's just so good and you're outside and you're feeling energised. And yeah. yeah. So I find it really important also because of the, not just necessarily gung-ho, but the whole co-op kind of setup. And in the scheme of things, quite a small piece of land and there's just so much going on here and such a hub of energy and activity and people really believing in what they're doing and not doing it for money, doing it because they believe in it. And you can just feel that. It feels so good to be here. Different things going on, enthusiasm and talk farm and chats. <laughs> and it just is like an example of how things could be and if people are willing to open up to these ideas of shared land and multiple enterprises on land and I think there's a lot of potential there in this kind of model expanding to different places and different farms. I've just been reflecting on I guess with the recent floods that have happened here and how different growers have been affected some growers towards Trentham can't even get onto their paddocks and there's a market gardener at Metcalf who's been totally flooded out and in some respects small growers are more kind of vulnerable to the impacts of 
climate change, but in many ways are more resilient as well, or rather that we actually need lots of small growers to keep feeding the community when one grower is not having a great year, that there's another grower nearby, even though we're in the same area, actually operating in a very different context. Like you see huge variations in how people are affected even within a small area. And so I think, yeah, just having like small scale operations actually makes the community more food secure. We're all just saying like, how do we see ourselves moving forward in the growing world? And it keeps coming back for me. It has to be quite small scale, manageable and community based, which is almost like going back to kind of peasant ways of being. We need people. Like yeah. we, people want each other <laughs> yeah. to be like, just mm. for the sense of community and feel like we're in this together, not just one person out there by themselves trying to make that their individual life's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like things are changing in that regard. Like people are wanting and seeing the value in community and the different knowledge that different people can bring. We had quite a lot of generous support from one couple, particularly over Dalesford Way, who gave us a bit of capital and said, you can pay us back half of it. I only want half of it back and you can pay us back next mm. year after the season. That's amazing. Yeah. People just are so, so generous. It's very overwhelming, but incredibly yeah, it kind of goes, oh, okay, it's not just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it does mean something. So we started really hopeful and then and then we got La Nina, which broke us all a bit more than we all realised. <laughs> so that means lots of rain. We had floods, we had soggy soils. That's right. Not enough sun. It was cold, nothing would grow, seeds washed away, slugs ate everything, snails ate everything. We don't normally have a slug problem here because of the granitic soil. Anyway, it was just atrocious to give you an example in financial terms again I didn't realize how full-on it had been until I was going back in probably would have been this year in March looking back at it and we made three thousand dollars from the weekly market over six months mm. it's like normally you should make that over six weeks so I'd budgeted a certain amount that we would ideally make from the weekly markets from our boxes from restaurants in order to cover the amount of hours that we had agreed to for the team and what we kind of thought needed to be done and trying to be smart about, you know, having for a field day, having us all there so we can get as much as we could done. And it's so nice for morale and Quince was a new parent and Quince's love is seeds and seeding and all things baby plants, all things babies. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we really loved the idea of them being able to bring their baby along to work because I I'd also had the vision of like well if I have a baby I want to strap it to my back and come out here and weed and plant and yeah it's I love that <laughs> but it didn't end up being ideal just because I started getting a little bit kind of well I don't mind if you're here for eight hours but we've agreed on this amount of work to be done and I can only pay you for these amount of hours so we we, we figured that out and then yeah it was just a an evolving thing and then seeds seeds weren't getting weren't getting planted because 
Quince had heaps of sick days. Was that linked to having a baby? Yeah. So if the baby's sick, yeah. Quince can't come in. And, and then they got sick because, yeah. you know, yeah. and then if the baby's sick and then their partner's sick, then they've got, yeah, just the whole thing. It's an interesting conundrum because that's what happened to the orchard keepers as well. They all have young children. Totally. It's an important, and it's the, it all comes back to that such strict, that's what we were talking about, this like strict thing of by the hour and a certain amount and I think I got really stuck in having to look at things in that frame. And it doesn't account for the humanity of our lives. <laughs> no, and but also people are relying on me for mm. income. Yeah. So by end of November, beginning of December, I was freaking out. Basically, it got to a point because of the season that was in spring and the reality was we still needed all that labour, <laughs> even though we weren't seeing it in return in a financial way. Yeah, my bookkeeper said to me, Erin, she's like, you need to cut staff. And I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could have done it a bit, but I cut hours instead. That was my decision. And in hindsight, looking at it, it was at that point that we either needed to totally reconfigure how we were doing stuff and make it probably more of a profit share investment rather than a employer employee yeah because then we never made it back really we never mm. made it because we couldn't how could we and so when you went to the markets on the wednesday the farmer's market yeah did you just sell out of stuff because you actually didn't have enough produce to keep the stall replenished or you weren't able to offer as many boxes for the seasonal boxes because you could see what was happening we didn't have the produce on the table and i would preference restaurants and boxes to market so coming off the back of that season will was always going to go back to melbourne pip is a traveler at heart <laughs> and claude's oh, but she might say it in, in different words but she when she spoke to me about it she kind of she just said she's oh, i'm not the work i'm not taken by the work anymore she had gone from we were working together four or five days a week 10 12 hours a day mm. doing all the planning doing everything I, I kind of what do you think you so know she was actively engaged Absolutely. in all the decision making and yes. all that stuff to yeah. then two days one one day of harvest one day of field work it's a different connection so the whole team was gone in april may that happened over two months so in those two months then pip and will or mel you can't get help so they helped me put an ad out and then that's when we met stella and ellie right. so pip and will worked with stella and ellie and that crossover happened as i knew we were getting up to talking about the lease because it's been three years three years three years and so we were coming up to the point where you have to say yay or nay to sign in for the next three years and basically ellie and Stella, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. And Jess, we went through the entire business, every single crop, the cost of production for every single crop, including how much seed, how long it takes you to plant that seed, how long it takes to grow, how long it takes to harvest. <laughs> yeah, it took us months. Every night that I wasn't doing something here, I was working with them on a computer Excel bloody thing <laughs> <laughs> felt like years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so we did that and where we got to with that was we would have had to do a whole nother reconfiguration of the business it would have had to have been a profit share we worked well together we were all quite 
invested in making it work. And, you know, you'll see this model turning up more and more, which is why we need more of us, because if there's only a few people doing this, it doesn't really work for the food security and local. But basically, growing less crops, doing it way better, and trying to sell probably to a few more restaurants, branching out a bit more, but also selling to more retail. So grocery shops, like fresh fruit and veg shops. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, the more local food you can put into there I think the more people will buy it rather than a weekly market unfortunately even though I'm one of the founding members and pushers for the weekly market as a grower I need to know that the food that if you're looking at this in a financial way you need to know that you've sold it I love the idea of a farmer's market but Wednesdays just never ever worked out for me. I work mm. elsewhere, I never got there in time. If I did make it before the market closed, most of the stuff was gone. <laughs> and so it just didn't, it wasn't really worth it for me to yeah. just do that. Yep. And I can see your point also as a grower that you need a bit more security because markets fluctuate so much. You get a rainy day, you're standing there cold and miserable and you don't get many customers. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also when it's really really hot (laughs) yeah exactly but yeah yeah, but in order for it to work out financially for you to sell to retail per item you're cutting your profit so you need to be able to sell more so yeah we were going to do retail restaurants and collaborative boxes so working more with growers so the other growers that are at the Wednesday markets and go okay cool what produce will you grow for boxes we'll grow these and of course you know some of it works some of it doesn't but then as, you're getting as a, a box recipient. I always yes. loved it when you included berries from a neighbouring farm or flour from goodness yeah. flowers. And then that also allows you as a grower to really get good at doing one yep. thing instead of trying to grow 20 things. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think through that process and probably just being here on my own for the last couple of years, well, not on my own, but... You were this sole business owner. So yeah, it was so It was weird. on you. Yeah. yeah going oh okay (laughs) I've learned a lot like we grow way too many crops way too many you can never look after that many that well you know it's kind of like we went from a small productive backyard and tried to make it heaps bigger and I think we could have still kept a lot of our diversity for plants animals birds bees all those things still have a diverse range of produce but cut down by half at least probably yeah so it came down to not having any capital, came down to not having the energy to reconfigure again. The so you personally were just feeling exhausted by yeah. even the prospect of it? Emotionally, physically, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, I was. And I knew that even if we went into a profit share thing, it would take at least one season, probably 18 months, to get your flow, to understand, to go, oh, this is how we need to do this crop, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is this is what people want. This is how you need it. This is how we can do it. This is what the land, this is how it grows, you know. Mm. It would still fall back on me unless there was a business partner legally involved and I'd just been through a divorce and that, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, yeah, but we would just change the whole business reconfiguration again. And Katie and Hugh don't know what they're doing after three years. They don't know what they're doing with the co-op. So by the time Katie and Hugh make the decision about whether or not to keep the co-op alive and Correct. or to sell the farm, yes. you might have only just found your feet again and then find yourself yep. uprooted again. Well, and who knows? But I just, I, I just didn't have the energy to yeah. look for capital and to reconfigure to take that risk. And then the final thing was relationships and land equity because yeah. the reality is, yeah, like what, what we were saying, for us as the market gardeners, the biggest infrastructure is your soil and I can't take that away. You could. You could <laughs> scoop it up, put it in a trailer, <laughs> drive off. I could. <laughs> Jesus, I've dug for 10 years. We could do it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, I, and it might look different if the, I hate to say it, the financial business bit of it looked different. Yeah. Just the insecurity and going, I'm still paying rent even though I'm actually, I am improving this place. Yeah. But the reality when you're a renter and you're essentially living on the same land as the, the landlords, it's just a different power dynamic. Yeah, and I guess if you felt like Katie and Hugh were committing to the next 20 years of running a co-op and having people sharing the land with them, that might have been a bit more of a balance shifter. It would have been a balance shifter, but it also, I think, and I, you know, this is something that the model has evolved for all of us. And this is what I'm not saying anything that we haven't spoken about and that we're not on the same page as, and we're all, everyone's in, has different emotions I guess and feelings about it because everyone has different levels of investment like I know Tess can take her infrastructure away whereas I feel like I can't do that not the bulk of it so I think it needs to be more of a land trust or something where actually it's not Katie and Hugh going we're going to share this land it's this land is shared and they're aware that there's a dynamic there. Do you want to talk about how you're feeling about it as you let it go because I think sometimes when people see people moving away from a business people go oh she's moving on to wonderful new things and but it's not always as clean cut as that and sometimes these decisions are really messy and complicated and hard to make well I didn't want it that's not the decision I wanted to make I didn't want to but looking at all those factors it does feel like the best decision yeah I think I feel yeah I'll cry like I'm gutted you know yeah I love the work. I hate the hustle. I hate the hustle. Yeah. I hate it being a business. And I'm using the word hate because I... It's not that I don't agree with it. I've got this fire in my belly. I'm angry. I'm sad. And you've got to put it somewhere, right? (laughs) (laughs) But I definitely have a fire in my belly about... I really want to look at bunches of kale as food again, not Mm. as units of the money that they have to make in order to (laughs) do this thing and just the whole system in itself why do we have this disrespect for people that grow food but also what food is the whole cycle is and I don't want to I'm not using this word lightly I'm using it powerfully like it's magical without it we we can't survive and when gung-ho as we're winding down 
There's only one other grower that I know of, if he continues the next season, that's in our shire. That's not enough. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. The weekly market is from everyone, Dalesford Trentham Way, because they've got volcanic soil water. No, also because they're good growers. That's not yeah, what yeah. I mean. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I understand why it's hard to grow here, yeah. but that's all the more reason we need to make an effort and come together. And I don't know how it can work in the current financial framework but it can't kill the people who are trying to do it at the same time and actually the work what it gives me back is it makes you come alive it's being outside being in the soil all that stuff is so rich you know being able to take home a box of food oh you feel like I feel more rich than that sometimes when I get, if I work somewhere else and I get a paycheck because yeah. you know then I can I can share it in different anyway blah blah yeah. blah like, it's romantic and it's idealistic but it's also not I regret kind of going into this very business way of seeing it but I think this place and this model is also very encouraging and quite strong on that being an important part because you have to be a valid business as long as you can pay your expenses and you have enough for what you need and I guess the reality is at the end of it I didn't have enough like yeah I didn't have enough I have to work three or four other jobs to be able to have enough mm. that sounds like I need a lot of money <laughs> I don't but <laughs> they're all a half day one day mm. I don't know anyone who's making it work who doesn't own their land and isn't in a romantic partnership. Yeah. Long so they've term. got someone else in their life bringing in income to their lives and supporting them at home and potentially, supporting them. Yeah. Potentially even with their business occasionally. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Or if they're doing that business together because then mm. the money that that business is making, sorry to bring it back to money, but yes. Sass and I were always aware that whenever we went to farm workshops or anything, most of them were couples and yes everyone has their own expenses but in order to be equal we would give ourselves the same amount of money but it meant that we would have to make more almost because you're supporting two <laughs> households two households yeah. yeah the most we ever paid ourselves was 300 dollars a week mm. which felt great <laughs> yeah but it's not much though compared to no. most people working <laughs> in the world <laughs> It's not getting paid much mm, mm. and so for you guys to give heart and soul and spend <laughs> spare minutes not just on the farm but also doing the bookkeeping doing the social media mm, mm, mm. posting and writing blogs beautiful blogs Thanks, <laughs> for so many years and building community as well is a lot of what you've done is build awareness and build the community via sharing those moments and those insights mm. of you as a farmer and mm. I know how much I valued getting those blogs and seeing those beautiful mm. photos and it really helped me feel really committed to supporting mm. you guys is getting that stuff from you Aww. and I know that takes a lot because I try and write things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I try and post on social media and I'm so exhausted by doing the job of the podcast mm. that there's not much left in me mm. to write that stuff mm. so there's a lot more to it than just digging in the soil and going to market yeah yeah yeah, I, I feel like the growing the food is probably only a third of it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that intentionality of doing all of that outreach stuff? It was always so heartfelt. I well, really felt that every time yeah. from both of you, oh, was thanks, that Ali. it was really heartfelt. Yeah. I think we 
we felt and I still feel I still feel lucky lucky maybe not the right word that that I've been able to do this for so long and it has always been heartfelt because the joys or the heartbreaks they're all real Mm. (laughs) and I think the connection has always wanted to be it's not our space this is a space where we can learn from each other where we can teach where people can just come and be and be under Lianganook and be in the soil and listen to the birds and visit the cows or (laughs) but but just to kind of to have the space to be able to bring people in has always felt so important because part of that connection whether it be the words or coming out or just even looking on social media stuff is the reality of where does food come from and and who's growing it and how is it getting grown and that's always been the thing of going if more people know that and are connected to that then our little community surely will be better off because we're more involved mm-hmm. with each other with somehow to do with those things. I think this is where we're at. I think this is where the movement's at. For me, being part of the co-op has been an evolving understanding of what's worked, maybe what could be different, but also just evolving of everyone's understanding of what people who don't have land need in order to produce food or also what the land needs in order to produce food or what we as a community need to fight for in order for things to happen. Where the energy and responsibility can come from, it's not just landowners, it's not just people who want to be producers. I think we all need to kind of step up to it a little bit. I think it's where the movement is. We're almost (laughs) 10 years behind the UK and North America and stuff, and they're totally looking at all these different agrarian trusts. And there's different models kind of floating around in different stages. I think we're all just learning because yeah, it's such a different thing. Such a different thing, isn't it? Rather than thousands of years ago where this is how people just lived. They lived with the land and mm. they looked after it and it looked after them. And just trying to figure out how we can do it so we're not ripping off the workers, but also food is accessible. It's a real... Balance. Balance. I don't know if you can see beyond the next six months yet (laughs) but is there a sense in you of what would open up for you once you step away from this farm what I've realized is and this has been strong the whole time throughout this isn't work that I want to do on my own I want to do it with people who want to be here I want to have a space where people feel comfortable and people can be themselves can learn something new can have conversations while we're weeding, while we're planting, while we're seeding. I think that's the essence of it for me, is where people feel like they can be themselves. But that's not just about them, that's also about me, because I want to be in places where I can be that too. We can all be our own little freaks and (laughs) be celebrated (laughs) and learn things and try things. And so just as a human to human with humans, there's that element of it, but also 
the taking stock of where we are, how we are, why we're doing what we're doing, how we're doing it, why are we doing it that way? Oh, we're doing it this way because we want to look after the worms or we want to have places for the birds to come. You just get that by being around it and being involved, don't you? Because you're out on country in nature and it's teaching you. And then the final bit of that is, I think I, one of the reasons I was sad to see lots of the gung-ho crew leave was because I didn't want them to go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want them to go, but I guess what we learned together was a lot about how to grow food. The more people that know that, the better. So there's kind of three levels of that learning, which is always an exchange because people always come with their own learnings and knowledge and that's so priceless, it's invaluable Mm. and not to be underrated or made any less of. So I carry all that with me and I want to be open to what will happen next. I think the next six months is to try and finish off our commitment to the boxes and to one of the restaurants gave us a bit of credit when they knew times were really hard last year. Like it just continues, you know, these people going, we believe in you, we we believe in what you're trying to do, we want to support you. So I'd like to keep our word as much as we can to that. And part of it I feel like is saying goodbye. So I'll, I'm riding the roller coaster of sad and angry and <laughs> There is a certain relief of not having to pay wages for myself or anyone else currently. Someone has volunteered to pay Ellie for three and a half hours a week. Another example of community wanting to support me, I guess, and this place to not just be here on my own, which I'm really grateful for. So we will do that. And the relief of not having to worry so much about money as long as we pay our way (laughs) right to the end and can leave without too much debt. But more of it is coming back to all those things we were talking about. Oh, I just love this work. Mm. And I'm so grateful to have been able to do this and work with this land. I really feel like over the last three or four years, I really do feel like I have built a relationship here now with the mountain and the seasons and and I don't have the same relationship that I have with where I live because I've been here and I've been intentionally investing here and it's a relationship it's not like I just come here and do my work and go home like it teaches me I, I try try more and more always to listen and go oh, okay the winds are here or oh it's going to start getting hot soon or right, the soil's going to start drying out all these things all these little little signs that you notice because i've been here for so long it's the longest i've ever been anywhere ali mm. in my life apart from where i grew up and so to start to just to scrape the surface of what a relationship actually is rather it's not just extractive relationship with land yeah yeah, yeah. it's not just extractive it's yeah, so I'm sad about, but but it also feels that's incredible also at the same time. That you've had it at all. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. It takes a long time to start to know a place and it's just going to get more and more extreme. The floods last year 
I had no idea what to do. I had no idea. Mm. Absolutely no idea. And it was this weird thing of kind of going, I don't know you. What is this? I just have no idea what. But then on reflection now, I go, whoa, that's what you're like when it's like this. And I know that the water flows through you in this way on these angles and that means that I shouldn't plant that there if it's ever going to be that rainy again or I should plant in a dry season I should plant that there because it'll hold the water mm. but I wouldn't have known that without that crazy and it kind of like ah oh, okay you're making even a bit more sense now even though it's extreme what you do yeah. <laughs> who you are <laughs> yeah will you farm again like do you think you'll try and set up shop somewhere else or give it a rest for a bit and see what happens i am pretty keen to have a rest so i'm going to concentrate on the next five months not committing to anything in the next six months probably 12 months but lots of people have sent forward things which is not what i expected at all like huh? offers for offers. come and come and farm on come our and land have a look. Yeah, yeah yeah so cool. so once once we get enough stuff in the ground here, I'll go and visit some people and I'll just let things percolate. I'm so keen to just be open and see what evolves. And I want to grow food and I want to be in a space that I was like I was talking about before. But I also want to look after myself. <laughs> My ideal is to involve community, involve productive food and learning and somehow being able to do the work that I love without the hustle. But I'm very aware that if I'm not doing the hustle, then it's paid off to someone else is doing the hustle. So, so that's the other fire in the belly. How can we do this so food is seen as food and the magic that it is and not the hustle? And I don't care if it's idealistic and romantic at this point in time. I think we have to start looking at ways that we can do it differently yeah and you know always there's exchanges i don't know i don't know what that looks like it's very easy to say those words <laughs> when we did all of our numbers and we were looking at the reconfiguration and all of that stuff it was still really tight mm. it was still tight i think it's going to get more risky because i think weather's going to get more crazy so you're going to mm. need to be able to invest more in knowing how to grow ways that we're growing now sure some of the techniques and values underpinning stuff is the same but I think you'll need to invest in more shade and tunnels mm. and where you get your water from all of that kind of stuff in order for it to be something that is more robust but I feel like we should feel the risk but maybe it shouldn't just be the grower who feels the risk mm. or the people who are choosing to support that grower who feels the risk. Mm. I don't know. I don't know how that's spread. I don't know. <laughs> Let us not forget about the flavor and the beauty of a plant when either you save the seed or someone gifts you a seed or you find the seed or you buy the seed and it grows a plant that then you can eat. I just don't forget that. <laughs> It's very precious.
So that was Mel from the Gung Ho Growers talking about the decision to wind down its current form at Harcourt. But Mel tells me that it may yet reappear somewhere else in the future. Don't forget that there will be a few bonus bits and pieces after this episode is released where you'll hear from some of the long-term supporters of Gung Ho, the chefs and cafes that have been buyers from them, and also from Sass, who was one of the co-founders of Gung Ho and left a couple of years ago. She reflects on what Gung Ho has meant to her over the years as well. Links and notes about the show are on the episode page on the website. Don't forget to get your saltgrass ethical t-shirts, hoodies and more. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Ali Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.